This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council On Air comes to you 6pm Tuesdays here on OR 105.4 FM and 1575 AM. Join Lux, Valerie and their special guests to hear the latest from the Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council and celebrate unity through diversity. DMEC On Air, 6pm Tuesdays with podcasts available anytime from oar.org.nz, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. Good evening everyone, welcome to the Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council Youth Show. Um, My name's Abby. And it's Max here. And we have a regular podcast where we talk about health issues from a student's perspective. I'm a second year dental student. And I am a second year medical student. And today we're going to be talking about two big health issues facing New Zealand right now. Specifically, it's going to be rheumatic fever and tooth decay, which sound like two really random separate issues, but there's actually some really interesting links between them. Um, Some similar groups are susceptible to both of them, and there's some similar risk factors between them. So up first is rheumatic fever, which isn't very commonly talked about. I think most people probably wouldn't know what it is, um, but it's actually pretty surprising how common it is. Yeah, so about three in a hundred thousand get it per year for the first time in New Zealand. And this may not seem like a lot, but compared to like the UK, which is a fairly similar healthcare situation, also a developed country, they only have a third of that at one per 100,000. And quite shockingly, actually, 95% of people getting rheumatic fever are either Māori or Pacifica. And tragically, once you get rheumatic fever once, it will predispose you to getting more episodes of it and will make the long-term damage much more severe. Yeah, so it's... The kind of thing that you don't really want to get, but I think most of us still probably don't know what rheumatic fever even is and who it really affects. So why don't you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so it it disproportionately affects Māori and Pacific children about the ages 4 to 19 in the North Island. So it's quite common in developing countries and some of the big risk factors are Um, crowded housing conditions, cold and damp houses, uh, socioeconomic deprivation, barriers to primary healthcare access, and a higher burden of untreated strep throat infections. And this is pretty crazy that we have such a high rate of this in New Zealand because this is something that as Max said before, is generally associated with developing countries, not developed countries like we consider New Zealand to be. Yeah, so how does rheumatic fever develop? So rheumatic fever can occur about one to five weeks after a sore throat if you've had a group A strep infection. So this is a bacterial infection in your throat, makes you get a sore throat, and this can cause the heart, joints, brain, and skin to become inflamed and swollen. But interestingly, this isn't actually due to the bacteria. Uh, by, by the time that you actually get 
aromatic fever, the bacteria is likely to be gone from your system. And instead, it's your own immune system mixing up strep bacteria for your joints and heart, and, and it'll attack them instead. Yeah, so that doesn't sound very fun, but that's not the worst of it, is it? No. So whenever your own immune system attacks your heart, your, I, your heart can't just regrow new heart cells. Instead, it'll scar over as it tries to heal. So this creates permanent damage. And because you're more likely to get rheumatic fever again if you've had it once, means that each time you get rheumatic fever, you'll get more and more tough scarring around your heart valves and heart muscles. Mm. So over time, as this gets more and more severe, that damaged heart from rheumatic fever develops into rheumatic heart disease. This is a chronic condition that stays with you for the rest of your life. And this leads to an increased risk of valve dysfunction, where blood doesn't pump around the heart right, and an increased risk of infection of the heart, called infective endocarditis. And people with rheumatic heart disease, if it's severe enough, might need to replace their heart valves with, prosth with prosthetic ones, and need to be really careful about getting infections like on trips to the dentist <laughs> which sounds like kind of a random thing you know how is your heart linked to going to the dentist but i'll just explain a little bit so when you have rheumatic heart disease the valves develop small little lumps on them in your heart and that's left over from the scar tissue and these are called um varicae and these varicae they're really sticky for bacteria. Bacteria just gets stuck on them. And this becomes a problem when you go to the dentist because during a routine dental procedure, it's not uncommon that you might get a little nick, you know, you might, some blood might come out and in your mouth you have a lot of bacteria that live and they don't usually make you sick. Um, in a normal person, they can go into your bloodstream and they'll just float on through and the immune system will kill them. But in someone who has rheumatic heart disease, if you get cut and this bacteria gets into your bloodstream, um, they get stuck on those varicae, those balls of scar tissue, and they can make you really sick and have a heart infection. So that's why when you go to a new dental practice, they give you the big long questionnaire of all those random health issues, and one of them is, do you have rheumatic heart disease? Because if so, the dentist will need to prescribe you antibiotics to make sure you don't get sick because we can't always control what happens in the clinic. So this is clearly a very harmful long-term disease. So we really need to think, how do we prevent people from getting it? And the big thing with rheumatic heart disease is that you need to nip it in the bud and you need to prevent rheumatic fever in the community before it ever gets to that stage. So this means that those factors that we talked about before, like cold, damp housing and crowded housing conditions, need to be addressed with government measures such as increasing the healthy home standards and other measures to make sure that people can live in, in much better, much healthier homes.
So the government also recently led a program called the Rheumatic Fever Prevention Program, where they invested $65 million uh, to identify and trial new initiatives to reduce rheumatic fever rates in New Zealand. This, this went from 2011 to 2017. However, in, uh, 11 DHBs in, uh, in the North Island still have a really high incidence of rheumatic fever and work closely with the Ministry of Health to reduce it. Other changes that the Ministry has, has implemented is stressing the importance of doctors considering a sore throat in a young person who has mouldy opacifica in the North Island carefully and to do their best to prevent a benign sore throat are developing into something much more serious. This can be quite difficult with people not wanting to go to the dentist for something like a sore throat due to financial trans transportation or other barriers, or even just because they don't consider the possibility of rheumatic fever. I think, yeah, probably most people wouldn't. I had honestly never heard of it until we started researching for this podcast. Um, so clearly a lot more education needs to be done about it. I mean, we're pretty privileged. We live in pretty decent housing, but, you know, there are a lot of people in New Zealand who don't have that privilege, um, and sadly a lot of them are, are Māori and Pacifica people. So this really disproportionately affects them and you know, there's a lot of work to be done I think around you know helping them out really. Yeah because what's quite tragic is that almost all cases of rheumatic fever and rheumatic heart disease is preventable but a lot more awareness in the community and support needs to be given in order to actually get to that stage. But if we can reduce these risk factors, these, these damp houses, overcrowded housing conditions, this lack of access to healthcare where people with sore throats can go to doctors, they aren't just having recurring sore throats over and over again, increasing that likelihood of getting rheumatic fever, that's really mm -hmm. important. Yeah, I think also there's a big thing in New Zealand um, about just getting on with it, you know, and that's part of the problem. People think, oh, you know, I won't go to the doctor. It's just a sore throat. Everyone gets a sore throat sometimes, but I think we've kind of shown that it can be pretty damaging. You know, you can do lifelong damage to your heart just from a sore throat. It's crazy. Yeah, so... The other thing that we wanted to talk about tonight was tooth decay. It's really common, it's, it's one of the most prevalent chronic non-communicable dis diseases in most countries. So, so Abigail, what can you tell me about it? Um, yeah, so tooth decay is really common in New Zealand. Um, one in three adults have tooth decay. One in ten adults have root decay. Um, so this, this just shows us that there's a really kind of poor oral health across a whole different range of factors in New Zealand adults. Um, and you might be wondering why, like, why do we have tooth decay in the first place? Well, that's because of sugar, basically. Um, sugar is so bad for your teeth. Everyone always says it, but probably a lot of people don't really know why. Um, that's because sugar is 
bacteria's favorite food. Most bacteria need sugar to survive. So when you eat sugar, um, it feeds the bacteria and they're able to produce lots of acid. And the acid attacks your teeth and just eats through them basically. So you end up developing cavities and just really bad oral health. Um, but there's also some other factors which influence this poor oral health. Um, there's low rates of visiting the dentist, which just kind of compounds this. When you already have some decay, you really need to go and get it sorted out. But a lot of people, they don't go. Half of adults feel that they currently need dental treatment, but aren't going. Um, in the past year, half of all adults avoided going to the dentist because of the cost. Um, one in four went without routine dental treatment due to costs. So that's your yearly checkups or your six month checkups. Um, and most people only go to the dentist when they need work done rather than for those routine checkups. And it's been found that those people who only go every now and then when they need a filling or when they need a root canal, they have a lot worse oral health than those people who who do what they're told and go every year. Yeah, and there's been some recent studies run by the government and various other groups that really showed the inequity in oral health care. And this is mostly by social deprivation and ethnic background. And what I mean by social deprivation is mainly the quality of housing around which you live. So you're most deprived if, uh, if you live in a poor neighborhood with those cold, damp homes with overcrowding and not much access to public infrastructure like parks and gyms. Mm, kind of sounds like the whole rheumatic fever thing again, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So in middle-aged adults in New Zealand, about 25 to 44, the average number of untreated decayed teeth is 1.8 for, for, for Pacifica people, 1.7 for Māori, 1 for Asian people, and only 0.9 for NZ Europeans. So if you are a Pacifica or Māori person, you're about twice as likely to have untreated decayed teeth as NZ Europeans, which is really just completely crazy. Mm. Yeah, and the same thing goes for missing teeth as well. Um, so missing teeth due to caries follows the same trend in the same age group. So 55% of Pacific people have missing teeth, 48% of Māori, 35% uh, in Asian and 36% in New Zealand Europeans. So again, a pretty big gap that's pretty sizable. So that was 55% in Pacifica and 36% in New Zealand Europeans. So nearly a 20% difference, which is huge. Yeah, and, and beyond ethnicity, that other factor, social deprivation, is a huge factor here. So in that same age group, 25 to 44-year-olds, the most deprived would have about two untreated decayed teeth, and the least deprived is half, so one in two people, which is absolutely crazy. Mm, yeah, and moving on from 
the adults, when we look at children um, as well, they generally have relatively good oral health um, and relatively good access to oral health care because obviously it is free when you're under 18. Um, overall, one in two children and adolescents aged 2 to 17 years were caries free and four out of five had visited a dental professional in the previous year. Um, but that's just an overall look. So when we look at um, our Māori and Pacific communities, children and adolescents in the same age group had a lot less past year access. Um, and in addition to this, they had worse oral health outcomes um, and children and adolescents living in areas of higher socioeconomic deprivation also had a lot worse outcomes. Yeah, and then with this in mind, when we look at adults, it really isn't surprising that poor oral, uh, that poor oral health outcomes and lower dental service attendance rates were found in particular among men, younger adults, Māori and Pacific peoples as well as those living in areas of higher socioeconomic deprivation. Yeah, and that's because what you experience as a child and what your family promotes and what the area you live in promotes kind of follows through into adulthood. So when we look at those trends for children, they kind of explain a little bit the trends for adults because people go with what they know and what they've been taught, right? Yeah. So... The million-dollar question then is, why is this the case? Why is there such worse health outcomes for Māori and Pacific people, as well as those living in in really high socio-economic uh, 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 deprivation areas? Mm. And there's quite a few reasons for this. Um, one of them are some systemic changes that have happened in New Zealand through the years. Um, there were some policy changes in 1990-1991 um, where structural reforms led to social welfare reducing by about $25 a week. Market rents for state housing were input. Um, the Employment Contracts Act of 1991 increased the prevalence of poverty and the number of disadvantaged households. And this, when we look at the statistics, really happened at the same time as a huge shift in oral health outcomes where Māori and Pacific people, they just went downhill. It just got worse and worse. So there's probably a correlation between those things. And it's not just oral health that this affects. Obviously, it affects all types of health but oral health especially just because there is such a cost involved with accessing dental care and oral health care. Yeah, exactly. And beyond, and beyond uh, uh, systemic changes, there's also, there's also a lot of cultural barriers in dental care. So there's a really low number of Māori and, and Pacific dentists. And, and Abigail, you can say how this, uh, how this affects practice, eh? Yeah, so... I mean, for a start, it's really important just to have the option to go to someone from your own culture. For Māori and Pacific people especially, that's really important. Um, there's a lot of cultural differences between 
those groups and New Zealand European, they have different needs when they're being treated and there's just lots of different things that need to be considered when we're looking at a holistic approach to healthcare. Um, and someone who appreciates that most is someone from that culture. Um, and then alongside these cultural barriers, there's also some accessing barriers. Yeah, so quite tragically, the lowest number of dentists per population are in the areas where there's the highest numbers of Māori and, and Pacific people. So where there's a lot of Māori and, and, and Pacific our communities, is there's going to be long wait times to see a dentist. It's going mm. to be harder to have a dentist in your area. Yeah, so, so this means, you know, a lot of people will need to travel to go to the dentist, which no one wants to go to the dentist in the first place, especially if you have to drive for two hours to go. Um, there's already a really high cost associated with going to the dentist, you know, having to pay for fuel or paying for a train. It just adds up and makes people much less likely to go. And this is really compounded by the fact that because dentists are working in the weekdays, nine to five, you you can only really go if you can take time off work. So if you work in an industry where you can't afford to take time off work, where you work those nine to five hours a Monday to Friday, if you can't manage to find that time to take the time off, then you're not going to be able to go to the dentist and you're definitely not going to prioritize going to the dentist. Mm, and especially in those low income jobs where you already don't really have enough money to make ends meet, you're not going to be thinking about taking a couple hours off work to go and pay a few hundred bucks to see the dentist. Yeah, it just... it. There's, there's a lot of systemic barriers to healthcare for Māori and, and, and Pacifica groups that really makes all these issues that we've talked about just compound and make it mm. really difficult to access these core services. Yeah, they just pile up and add on to each other and, you know, they all... Obviously, no one thing is isolated on its own. All these factors interact with each other and that makes it really difficult to kind of see what can even be done about it because there's just so many problems here that it's like, where do you even start? <laughs> yeah, so some ideas are to increase access to education. This can do things like uh, increase your ability to get a higher level education and then access some higher level jobs to pull you out of uh, uh, areas of high socioeconomic deprivation, get better housing, healthier housing, mm. and more money to go to these healthcare services that you really need. Yeah, and also on the other side of that, education, just even about how to look after your teeth yourself. You know, there's a lot of stuff you can do at home, making sure you're using the right toothpaste, toothpaste with fluoride in it, um, a soft bristled toothbrush, um, flossing your teeth. Yeah, just really educating people can do wonders. Yeah, and on that, uh, access to healthcare for low-income houses is also 
uh, is also a really important solution to these oral health inequities. So this mm. so this could be something like um, having more uh, more subsidies so that it's cheaper to go. Yeah, having more rural dental clinics because a lot of these people that are getting missed out are rural people or people who just live in low socioeconomic suburbs like in Auckland, for example. And one potential uh, answer to that is to extend the current cap on when the dentist is free. So currently, like we talked about before, the dentist is free if you're under 18. So perhaps we can open the discussion on increasing that to maybe 25 or 35, or maybe just make it free altogether. Mm. And because doing that would really uh, do a huge amount to reduce that financial barrier to going to the dentist in the first place. Yeah, and we are kind of moving in the right direction with things like the water fluoridation reform, some education programs coming out, um, affirmative action to get more Māori and Pacifica dentists in the community. But I think, yeah, definitely there's a lot more that can be done. Yeah, so I think that we've really highlighted how rheumatic fever and these decay uh, are problems. They seem really separate, but in New Zealand the common theme really seems to be that Māori and Pacifica people are at higher risk of poor health outcomes due to a variety of factors from poor housing conditions, socioeconomic status, to even the environments these groups tend to live in, having reduced access to healthcare and so many other really important things. Um, yeah, there's, there is a lot that the government is doing now to try and reduce this inequity. But hopefully more education about these issues and what causes them can help raise some more awareness about what everyone can do. Um, thank you for listening, everyone. I hope you learned something today. Uh, we'll be back again on the fourth Tuesday, which is the 24th of August. We're here every four weeks. So I hope to hear from you then. We'll see you soon. Bye. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.